Cody. It's going to be a great week of service for our junior high students. We are introducing you this morning to a brand new book. It's called Extreme Prayer. The month of May is going to be a prayer emphasis month at FCC, and our sermons are going to be about prayer. And we're using this excellent book by Greg Pruitt, who happens to be the president of Pioneer Bible Translators, where Gerald and Ruth Denny serve. And you can get your copy for $9. And if you don't have $9, say, I don't have $9, and take a book. We want you to read it. We want you to be aware of how God has worked in the lives of many uh, through PBT. And we're going to see what God can do with our lives as it revolves around this issue of prayer and how prayer needs to really be a central part of who we are. So check that out. This week has been an incredibly hard week for our church and our community. There's been a lot of loss of life. There have been funerals. There have been visitations. And I know many of you have been affected by that. So we ask you to continue to pray for the families of Julie Berger and Leslie Cundiff, uh, Rhonda Roberts, Cassandra, one of our ministry staff members. Her mother, Rhonda, passed away suddenly this week. That funeral was yesterday. Please lift up the Roberts family. And then Verna Brown. Verna Brown was one of those just incredible servant leaders, served in our children's ministry for decades. She passed away on Wednesday. Her visitation is this afternoon from 4 to 6 at Calvert's. Her funeral will be at Calvert's tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. So please lift up all of these families during this time of loss. Reload for Men is Tuesday at the Cable Building, 6 a.m. The Intentional Church Conference is Saturday. I can still get you in. It's going to be a great day with Tim Harlow and J.K. Jones. I think we have 31 right now from our church that are attending, but there's still room for you. Mobile Food Pantry, a week from Saturday. We need your help. Would love to have you come out from 9 to noon on the 30th. <clears throat> it's not going to rain that day. It's going to be a great day. So come on out as we serve our community. And then finally, that, that last announcement, their church directory pictures. Our church directory is over four years old, and we are going to um, be putting together a new directory in-house. And it's a project that Russ Hicks and John Rogers and Adam and others are going to be working on. And so we are going to make it very easy for you to get your family's picture taken if you would like that to happen on a Sunday morning following a service, before a service. That'll start on May 8th. We're going to be going to Sunday school classes and, and letting people in Sunday school classes get their pictures taken. If you have a photo that you would like to send to us online via email, we're going to tell you how to do that in the weeks ahead. But just be aware, church directory pictures during the month of May. Well, we are in the Word, and we're looking specifically at what did Jesus have to say following the resurrection. We spent five weeks looking at the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross, that day they call Good Friday, and those are up on the screen. And then three weeks ago, Victory Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, what's the summary? He is risen indeed. And then last week, we started by looking at John chapter 21, uh, a message, really the aftermath. What's now? What's next? And Jesus used that really cool, miraculous catch of fish to, uh, to reinstate his disciples, especially Peter, but to let them know that this wasn't just a three-year project. This wasn't just a three-year extended seminary class. There is still work to do. And for Peter specifically, he said, feed my sheep, and he said, follow me. And so this morning, we're going to look at maybe the most famous teaching of Jesus post-resurrection, Matthew chapter 28. Um, You may know it as the Great Commission, the big idea to make disciples. But before we get there, I want you to put on your thinking caps for just a moment. If you found out today, you had one week to live. If you found out today, 
you had one day to live. If you found out today you had one hour to live, what final words would you want to share? Think about that for just a moment. What final words of wisdom might you have for others? What would you like to say to your loved ones as they gather around you for the very last time? I looked at history and I looked at some of the, the greatest the world has ever seen, what their final words were. Karl Marx said, last words are for fools who haven't said enough. So he wouldn't say anything. The very first Roman emperor, Augustus Caesar, said, have I played the part well? If I have, then applaud me as I exit. Charles Darwin, theory of evolution, said, I'm not the least afraid to die. His final words Humphrey Bogart, this might not be appropriate for church, but I'm going to throw it out anyway. His final words were, I never should have switched from scotch to martinis, whatever that's worth. Bob Marley, the musician, this could preach, money can't buy life. His final words. John Adams, our second president. Final words, three words, Thomas Jefferson lives. The irony in that is Jefferson had actually died a couple hours earlier, July 4, 1826. Da Vinci, the famous inventor and painter, his dying words were, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. And I think most of the world would disagree with that. Beethoven, composer and pianist, I love this, dying words, I will hear in heaven. I will hear in heaven. James Brown, I thought about trying to do a James Brown impression, but I just can't do it. I'm going away tonight. And Thomas Edison, Thomas Edison, the great inventor, had been in a coma for, for several days, and he briefly came out of the coma just before he died, and here's what he had to say. It is very beautiful out there. I wonder what he saw. Final last words. Well, Matthew gives us the account of Jesus' final words, at least the final words that he remembers, as he concludes his gospel account. And so let me read for you the last five verses of Matthew chapter 28. It says, Then the eleven disciples, Judas is with them no more, went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age of the Great Commission. Maybe the most famous of the Jesus teachings, go make disciples, baptize, teach, get it done. Four key words, go, make, baptize, teach, when we look at this passage of Scripture, but only one of those is an imperative, a command. And the command is this, to make disciples. In fact, the passage of Scripture probably should read something like this, as you are going, or because you are going, or since you are going, make disciples. And here's how you make disciples. Baptize them, and you teach them. You baptize them. And you teach them. 
Matthew 28, I believe, is typically considered a mission passage, or it's considered a church planting passage. In fact, if we went to the National Missionary Convention, our, our brotherhood group of churches, we have an annual gathering every October or November. It's going to be in Peoria a year from now, November of 2017. It, it's called the National Missionary Convention, and they gather together, and Matthew 28 is shared all the time. Go and make disciples. It's a mission passage. It's a church planning passage. But this morning, I want to do something different with it. I want to do something that I've never done before with Matthew chapter 28. Instead of talking about missions, even though I love missions, instead of talking about church planning, even though I love church planning, I want to hold that off for a week, come back next week, you'll get that message. But I want to talk this morning about Matthew chapter 28 and your DTR. Your DTR. What's a DTR? Anybody know what a DTR is? Anyone? What's a DTR? Define the relationship. You get the bozo button. Way to go. That's awesome. Define the relationship. What's that mean? Well, let's just assume that there's a typical girl. Well, let's just assume, and maybe she's 20, and maybe she goes to Bible college somewhere, and maybe all of a sudden a a young man begins to show interest in her. And they begin to talk, and they begin to chat, and they begin to drink coffee together, and they begin to eat a meal together. And and maybe you say to this typical, totally hypothetical 20-year-old girl, well, talk about the relationship. And they say things like, well, I'm not really sure. I like him. I think he likes me, but I'm not really sure. At some point, this hypothetical couple, again, totally hypothetical, they're going to have to have the DTR. They're going to have to figure out, are we just friends? Are we maybe moving toward more than just friends? How many of you remember having the DTR? Come on, be honest. Lots of us have had DTRs in our life, right? In grade school, maybe it was like a little uh, scrunched piece of paper, and it says, do you like me? And there's a yes, and there's a no, and you can check which box. Every girl I ever gave that to checked no, by the way. Every girl. God had a better plan, I guess. I don't want to talk about relationships this morning, romantically speaking, however. I want to talk about the DTR that really matters most. And everyone that's here today, this message is for you. This message is for you if today's the first day you've ever come to church. This message is for you if you're like me and you've been in church almost every Sunday you were alive because your parents didn't give you a choice when you were a little kid. And you've heard sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. You've heard them all. This message is for you. I really believe that when it comes to the most important relationship of all, the relationship with Jesus Christ, there's really three options. And everybody in here fits one of these three options. Option number one is if you were to define your relationship, you would say unashamedly, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm not a pew sitter. I'm not simply a member. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I think there's probably people in here today that you would say, you know, that sounds great. I wish I was there. Maybe I'll get there someday. But today, I would say what defines me best is that I am affiliated with Jesus. I'm affiliated with Jesus. And some of you, if you're really being honest, you would say, you know, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not even sure I'm affiliated with Jesus, but I want to know more. I'm seeking. I want to know more about what's that word follower mean? What's that word disciple mean? What's that word Christian mean? 
And so with that in mind, I want to take time this morning and I want to kind of paint pictures. What is the difference between someone that's affiliated with Jesus and someone that's a disciple of Jesus? I was drinking coffee with a group of preachers about a month ago, three weeks ago, and um, I like to drink coffee and I like to hang out with preachers. And one of the preachers said to me that he was kind of troubled. I think the word he used was the word flummoxed. That's not a word that we typically hear in normal conversation, but he was troubled because he was getting ready in a couple days to do a funeral. And I said, well, you know, you do lots of funerals. What's the big deal? And he said, well, I don't really know the person. And I said, really, was it just one of those random things, and they didn't really have a church, and the funeral home called you and said, hey, can you, can you help me out? And he said, no. He said, he was affiliated with our church. And I said, well, what's that mean, he was affiliated with your church? And he goes, I'm not really sure. He said, I've been the preacher here for over nine years, and I've never met him. I don't know him. But he had an affiliation with the church. I don't want to talk about church today, but I want to talk about Jesus. Disciple, seeker, or simply affiliated with Jesus. What's it look like if you are someone who is simply affiliated with Jesus? Maybe it looks like this. You're someone that would say, I know some stuff about Jesus. I know some stuff about the Bible. I know there's an Old Testament, and I know there's a New Testament. I know that Jesus did some really cool miracles. I know that Easter's a big deal. I know that Christmas is a big deal affiliated with Jesus. Maybe you say something like, I do some church things. I'm around the church from time to time. I do some church things. Maybe you would say something like this, I'm all in part of the time. As long as nothing more important comes along. Maybe if you were being honest, you might say something like, you know, I am who I am. And God just needs to deal with it. You need to just deal with it. I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be perfect. So I am who I am. Maybe your motto in life is something like this. God wants me to be happy. And so as long as what I'm doing makes me happy, God's got to be two thumbs up, doesn't he? And at the end of the day, if you were being honest, you'd have to draw the conclusion that church, Christianity, Jesus, is a part of your life. I'm a member of Rotary. and I like being in Rotary. I have a good time, good meals. Every Tuesday at lunch, we meet at the Legion. We do good works. We did this chicken dinner. I mean, served over 515 chicken dinners, almost ran out. We're going to give away like $1,600 to food pantries here in town. I'm glad I'm a part of Rotary. Can I tell you, I've never laid awake at night worried about Rotary. I've never woke up early just fretting over Rotary. It's a part of my life. It's a good part of my life, but it's a part of my life. And I think for some of us, if we're simply affiliated with Jesus, it's just that thing I do for an hour or a couple hours every week. My opinion, I can't quantify this. I have no statistics to throw your way. But I think that most in America today are simply affiliated with Jesus. If we did a survey of this community my guess is 85 to 90% of this community would claim to be Christian. They'd check the Christian box. And yet I bet a whole bunch of them, if we were really being honest, 
It's simply an affiliation with Jesus. The Babylon Bee is, uh, has become one of my new favorite websites. It's filled with sarcasm, which, uh, which I enjoy, and this is sarcastic. Um, th- this fictional article from Fullerton, California. It says, local father Trevor Michelson, 48, and his wife Carrie, 45, are reeling after discovering that after 12 years of steadily taking their daughter Janie to church every Sunday, they didn't have a more pressing sports commitment, which was at least once every three months, she no longer demonstrates the strong quarterly commitment to the faith they raised her with now that she is college-aged. Trevor was simply stunned at the revelation. He says, I just don't understand it. Almost every single time there was a rain out or a break between school and club seasons, we had Janie in church. It was at least once every three months. And aside from that one tournament in 2011, we never missed Easter. It was obviously a priority in our family. I just don't get where her spiritual apathy is coming from. Mother, Janie's mother chimed in and said, I can't tell you how often we prayed the prayer of Jabez on the way to a game. You know, the more I think about it, Trevor lamented, this illustrates how the church just keeps failing this generation, citing a recently Googled study by Barna or someone else. The Michelsons further noted plans to have a chat with the pastor of their church as soon as their younger son Robert's soccer season calms down a bit. Now, i got to be honest with you. I I shared that with you because I was hoping you would laugh. A couple of you kind of mildly chuckled there. But I shared that with you because I've been there. I've walked that tightrope to where there's pressures and there's people pulling for your time. And, you know, you find yourself saying, "Am am I a disciple? Or am I just affiliated with Jesus? What might a disciple of Jesus look like? It might look like this. A disciple of Jesus might say, I am driven to know more about Jesus and more about God's word every day. Remember that song we used to sing when it was a newer contemporary song, I want to know you more? That's the cry of the heart of a disciple. A disciple might say, I love to serve the Lord, and I look for opportunities regularly. I look for opportunities to be used. Now, when you talk about serve the Lord, maybe you hear, be a Sunday school teacher. Give a communion meditation. Do something up in front of people. You don't have to be up in front of people to serve the Lord. Two of our greatest week-in, week-out servants, most of you probably never see. It's what happens before our first service at 815. Danny Bundy, Tim Winthy. They're shaking hands, they're hugging people, they're parking cars. When the weather's bad, they're helping people get across the parking lot. You know, if it was left up to just a couple staff people or a couple elders, we'd fail miserably in that arena. And yet, every week, without fail, they're there, smile on, hugging away, encouraging, loving. A disciple says, I love to serve the Lord. A disciple says simply, I'm all in. It's most important. I'm all in. A disciple says, I want God to shape me in who he wants me to be. He doesn't say, I am who I am. She doesn't say, I am who I am. Just deal with it. He or she says, I know I'm fallen. I know I'm broken. I know I'm not perfect. So God, help me, shape me, change me, use me. 
A disciple's model for life might be God wants me to be obedient. Even if it's hard to be obedient. Even if it means I've got to make changes I don't want to make. My model in life is God, I want to be obedient. And then finally, just to give you a kind of a a summary statement, a 24-7 follower of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus Sunday morning. I'm a follower of Jesus Monday morning. I'm a follower of Jesus during algebra class on Wednesday when I can't believe my teacher pulled the pop quiz. I'm a follower of Jesus on Friday night. I'm a follower of Jesus on Saturday when when I just can't believe what's going wrong in my world. I'm a 24-7 follower of Jesus. So I realize this may seem like way up here. Some of you are saying, should I have even come to church today? Are you just kicking me in the shins? Are you just stepping on my toes? Are you just trying to make me feel bad? I'm really not. I'm wanting to challenge all of us to look honestly and openly at our lives and say, you know, can I wear that label disciple? Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples. Am I a disciple? So here's the point. If I want to be a disciple, if I want to say I'm done with just the affiliation, I want to be a disciple. I want to be all in. I want to strive for 24-7. What's that look like? And how do I know? Is there a formula that you can give me? Is there something that you can put in my hands as I leave today that that I can just do A, B, C, D, and, and I'm a disciple? Kind of, but not really. But I want to go back to the text because there's a part of our text that we just skip over when we read it. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them. And we just kind of stop right there with the the teaching them. What does Jesus say after he says teaching? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That sounds like a whole bunch of Sunday school classes to me. That sounds like once a week might not be enough. How am I going to follow everything that Jesus commanded? Well, let's not worry about everything this morning, but let's try to hone in on what were some of Jesus' key teachings for his disciples. How could we take those key teachings and put them into practice in our lives? I'm just going to give you six. In the Sermon on the Mountain, Jesus said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. And the context there is worry. The context there is, I don't have enough money. The context there is, I don't have enough stuff. And Jesus does his teaching, can't can't serve God and money. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And he summarizes by saying, here's the deal, people. You want to master this? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all that other stuff's going to work itself out. I need Matthew 6.33 in my face on a regular basis. Because when the car starts having trouble, I start worrying. I start fretting. I start saying, how's this going to work out? When the bills pile up, it's temptation to say, I'm never going to make it. I don't have enough coinage. I don't have enough cash. What am I going to do? And Jesus' answer is, seek first the kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. What about Mark chapter 12? Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? 
Is it commandment number one? Is it commandment number two? Is it commandment number three? And Jesus didn't give them any of the Ten Commandments. He said, here's what's most important. Mark 12, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandments greater than these. Love God and love others. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's a lot easier sometimes to love God than it is to love others, isn't it? Can I get an amen? Absolutely. It's tough, right? Sometimes to love others. People can drive us crazy. You can drive one another crazy. And Jesus said, you really want to know what's the most important thing? Love God, love others. John 15. John 15 is in this four-chapter teaching by Jesus with his disciples before Gethsemane, but before Calvary, and he really pours out his heart. And in the middle of that, the middle of chapter 15, he says, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And for some of us today, that's all we need to take with us for right now. The one thing that could change our lives radically today is if we just embrace that idea, love each other as I've loved you. Because you're going to go to work tomorrow with someone that you really don't love and you certainly don't like. That knot's already kind of churning in your stomach just because you got to deal with him or you got to deal with her. And so take John 15, 12 with you. Love each other as I've loved you. What about Matthew 5? We throw this out all the time around here. You are the salt of the earth. If salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Are you shaking and shining for Jesus? Are you shaking and shining for Jesus? Matthew chapter 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out his workers into his harvest field. Next week, we're going to talk about what's it mean to make disciples. What's it mean to have this heart for evangelism? One of my favorite things to do around here is to hang out with our mission team. And Nate Bostic, our chairman, is here, and several of our mission team members are here. And recently, because of this estate that Mark Barron's talked about, they were able to be ridiculously generous with groups. They gave PBT $10,000 to create a publication, I think, for the Gospel of John into a language where they'd never had the Gospel of John before. And if that doesn't excite you, you say, well, Bible translation, is that exciting? You better believe it is. There's people reading John 3.16 in their own language for the very first time. That's awesome. Our mission team was able to bless Little Galilee Camp. They're on this this dining hall project. And Little Galilee is kind of the the precursor of our philosophy here about going debt-free. Little Galilee was doing it for a decade before we were. They're kind of a model for us in that way. And, And they've bit off their biggest project yet. What a blessing it was to be able to say, here's $10,000 for your project. Lincoln Christian University, training the next generation of Christian leaders. Students from our church are studying there, like Ben Dial and Morgan Witzke and Matthew Kane and others. And to be able to say, here's $10,000, go and make a difference. Raise up the next generation, never growing tired of missions and the call to take good news literally all over the world. And then finally, Luke chapter 9, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, 
He must deny himself, take up his cross every day, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. And like Toby Mac saying, I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. What a great motto for a disciple of Jesus Christ. So as I wrap up today, and again, this is really a two-part message. We're going to be back in Matthew chapter 28 and Acts 1 next week. I want to leave you with three observations from the text that if we're not careful, we can miss. And number one is this. Notice that right after the disciples worshiped, what's the text say? It says that some doubted. When I first read that, I thought, well, there must have been more than just the 11. There must have been a whole bunch of people there. There must have been like some kind of hangers-on and others. Because how could any of the 11 have doubted? I mean, they saw the ministry. They saw the miracles. They saw the death. They saw the burial. They saw the resurrection. How could they doubt? You know how they doubted? It's part of our human nature. And so maybe right now here, you're doubting a little bit. You're saying, preacher, that's too radical. I can't do it. I don't think I can do it. You're you're, you're painting a picture that's too far down the road for me. The bar's set way too high. Understand, God can handle any doubt you have. Can't handle unbelief, but he can handle our doubts. The disciples, some of the disciples doubted. So don't let doubt slow you down. Secondly, notice all nations. We must never lose sight that God's heart is not just for 61727. God's heart is not just for Central Illinois. God's heart is not just for communities and churches like ours. Someone asked Gerald and Ruth Denny, you know, how long is PBT going to be doing what they do? You know what the answer really is? It's until Jesus comes again. Because there are still hundreds, even thousands of unreached people groups. And God has a heart for every one of them. And then finally, I leave you with the promises of Jesus. The Great Commission, Jesus offers two promises. He promises his power, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And he promises his presence. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Why did I go the direction that I did today with Matthew chapter 20? Here's why. Bottom line, before we can talk about making disciples, we have to make sure we are disciples. We need to make sure we're all in. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for a text that is familiar and yet at the same time brings newness and freshness. And so, God, my prayer just for me personally is that I'll never be someone that is simply affiliated with Jesus. But every day I wake, I'll be able to say, I'm a disciple, I'm all in. I'm 24-7. And God, right now as we move toward our invitation, I just pray that your spirit would work and that you would allow people who, who maybe have been on the fence, who maybe aren't sure where they're at, to just have that conviction that I can't give, that a human can't give, to say I'm all in. We love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. It is a commitment time. This song is going to end our service.